Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Now, David wrote that. But he is not running in the path of God's commands. David is running like the world. He's depressed. He's fearful. He's thinking only of himself. He's obsessed with King Saul killing him. David forgot the word of God, and he forgot the promises of God. This will cause David to take the wrong fork. He heads to the wrong road. His wrong thinking leads him down the wrong path. Controlling the thought life is such a struggle. Everybody deals with it. You can see in the story of David and Saul that they both had chances to respond in positive or negative ways to events in their lives. David, for the most part, availed himself to godly principles in how he handled stuff. Saul, on the other hand, showed a lifelong arc of taking the wrong fork in the road. Pastor Mark will be teaching on the importance of fortifying your mind by becoming really familiar with the Bible. Not just the words, the principles are what you need to know so you can stay on the right track. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now here's Pastor Mark in 1 Samuel chapter 27 with today's edition of Lessons for Living. So let's go for a moment to Romans chapter 12, and you'll see what Paul was talking about. See, Paul knew where these thoughts would come. When I think of David, sometimes I think of Paul, because Paul's life was kind of like David's in the early going. I mean, everybody was against Paul. When he went into town, he just kind of asked, you remember, he'd go into town and ask, where's the nearest jail? Because he's probably going to end up there. That's the way his life was, shipwrecked and beaten and all these kind of things. And yet, Paul was able to seemingly control it better. He was able to understand the the devices of Satan better. Of course, he had the Holy Spirit in him 24-7. That helps significantly. Look at Romans 12-2. Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. Now, just stop and look at me. How is God going to transform me into a new person? How is he going to transform me into a new person? A person that does the right things. How is he going to do that? The answer is the next few words. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You see, the way we think is the way we become. The way we think is the way we act. It's not the other way around. You don't act like this, and then you start thinking about it. No, thinking precedes acting. And that's what happens. So notice what it says. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. 
Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. One of the other translations says, let God transform your thinking. So I can't destroy these strongholds by myself. I need divine help. I need God. So I ask him to help me to stop thinking about this. The only way we can combat those lies, by the way, is truth. And we know that truth is God's word. So what transforms my thinking? We won't turn there tonight. You can just write in your notes, John chapter 8. It's around 30 to 33, somewhere in there. Here's what Jesus says. If you'll obey my word, if you'll abide in my word, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So it's abiding in the word. It's not just knowing the truth, but it's doing the truth. So when I know that this thought, I I shouldn't be thinking this way about this person, easier said than done. Without God's help, I'm going to think that way about that person. With God's help, I can do it. I can't do it without God because I need his strength. That's why the Holy Spirit's there to encourage me. Now, as I said to you, God's word is truth, and I have to abide it. It's one of the weapons we use, Ephesians six seventeen, And also, the word of God is active. It's powerful. It will go in and scrub my thinking and cause my thinking to be very different. Then, so, number one, number one, capture recognize where the thought's coming from. Number two, challenge it. Stop it. Satan, I'm not thinking that way anymore. God help me. Now, if you leave it there, you'll not complete the process. There's one more step. Step number three, change the thought. In other words, I have to replace it with the truth. So I begin to dwell on the truth, not the thought that I just replaced. I have to begin to understand I need to think like God and not like Satan. God, I choose to believe your words and not the words of Satan. I choose to do that. Now, I put on the overhead a little bit of how that works. And those of you that struggle with some of those strongholds that are frequently there, negative, critical, fearful all the time, lust, some of those things that are pretty common in your thinking. Best for you to put three-by-five cards somewhere where you can see them in your car, in your Bible, in your pockets. And when those thoughts come, just bring that baby out and replace that with the truth of God's Word. Pretty soon you won't need the card because you'll know the Word. And you can say to Satan, as Jesus did, man doesn't live by bread alone. You know, Jesus didn't get the scroll out and go, eh. he knew the principle. No, no, no. This is spiritual. Satan, you're not going to tempt me with that stone, even though it smells like fresh falafel. You're not going to get me. Because man is spiritual, and God's got me. So what are some of the things we can replace those thoughts with? Philippians 4, 8 is a great one. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Well, I want to get even with that person. Well, let's see, can I find that in there? Probably not. So I'm going to replace that. And so I take, first thought, thought comes into my mind. You've been bombarded with thoughts today. You get an email. And somebody puts capital letters in the email. 
You already know what they mean. And where'd your thought go? Oh, bless the Lord. I think not. I think not. And so we go over there. So the minute you do that, you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. That was me. That wasn't even Satan. That just told me. That isn't right. That isn't that the way God would act me to react. Do unto others as they should be. Whoa, okay, I guess. Okay, okay, God, that wasn't from you. Thank you. Now help me. Help me, God. That's enough? No, no, no. Get something and begin to replace it. One of the great things to do, bless those that hurt you. Can't do that, Pastor Mark. Yes, you can. In God's strength. In God's strength. So we replace it. So understand, that's that process that's going on in David's mind. It's a process that's going on yours. David wrote this in Psalm 119. I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws, O Lord. I hold fast to your statues, O Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Now David wrote that, but he is not running in the path of God's commands. David is running like the world. He's depressed, he's fearful, he's thinking only of himself. He's obsessed with King Saul killing him. David forgot the word of God, and he forgot the promises of God. This will cause David to take the wrong fork. He heads to the wrong road. His wrong thinking leads him down the wrong path. Sometimes when we counsel people, They'll say this to us in a pastoral counseling session. I don't know how I got here. I really don't. And that's because the enemy is very deceitful. What they mean by that is, I don't know how come I got this far away from God. Well, it's because they're just small little steps. And they got there, and they didn't realize that their thinking had been wrong so often The next thing that happens is action follows thinking. So just write this down if if you have time. I think it would be important for you to see why, again, we're spending so much time in the Word tonight and why we teach it all the time. Reading and believing God's Word corrects our thinking and then, of course, our actions. I have to read it. I have to believe it. And then, of course, it's not just believing. You have to do it. A lot of people believe God, but they don't believe God. They don't follow through with it. So that word that you're reading, the word that we're even doing tonight, it eliminates fear. It brings faith into my life. Faith simply means confidence that God will do what he said in here. So what would faith for for David be? God said, you will be the next king. There's no need for fear. God will see that it happens. So you're doing it. Good job. Now, before I go back to David, I want to take you to another familiar area, because then we're going to see David. And I want you to see this. I had another one, but I took it out just because I don't have time. Just turn to your neighbor right now. If you're at home, you can speak to yourself. It's okay. I give you permission to speak to yourself. Or the dog sitting there talking to the dog. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm just like these Bible characters. I'm just like these Bible characters. Just say it. That's right. 
So you go like, well, Pastor Mark, you're going to talk about some of these people. I'm not like those people. To be honest, most of us aren't as good as those people. So if you will, turn with me to a very familiar passage, but it's good for us now that we have these three keys in our mind. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. I mean, we're going to talk about Abraham for a moment, then we're going to go to David. Now, David should have begun learning what we're supposed to be learning. We're to learn from all the people in the Bible because we're just like them. And as you get to Genesis chapter 12, God is directing Abram. Supernaturally, he's directed him. Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. Genesis 12, verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land. Remember, Abram's come to the promised land. It's been years since anybody had been there, more than 400 after that. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. What's the mistake Abram makes? It's the very same mistake David made. He begins thinking, okay, I have all these people, my wife, there's no food. He's fearful. And so what does he do? He does the same thing. He runs. He escapes. He leaves Israel. And he heads to Egypt. Now, what should he have done? First thing he should have done was say to God, what should I do? You and I have been there. But he doesn't ask God. There's no God in this at all. The God that directed him there, he's not there. He should have remained there and said, God... What should I do? Should I go? Shouldn't I go? What are you going to do? How am I going to get out of this? There's no food, God. You brought me here. Now what? Some of you are in that kind of situation tonight. And you want to run and escape. Don't do it. Ask God what to do. Now, there is a time to run. If God says to run. But not if you say to run. Remember Joseph? There was a night. Potiphar's wife. You remember she had that nighty on and whatever. You remember? Joseph probably said, I think the command is not to run. <laughs> Just going to sit here and see what God wants to say to me. <laughs> what did he do? He ran. Was that the right thing to do? Absolutely. Who told him to run? God did. But there's other times. In fact, the New Testament says, stand. Abram doesn't stand. He runs, and he runs to Egypt. Egypt in the Bible is always a picture of a pagan society. It's a picture of the world system. So he goes, and because of this lapse of faith, you're going to see quickly, you know the story, disaster. Verse 11, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. It's the only good thing he does in the whole story. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. So say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Fear led to lying. Fear led to lying. We will see it again. Fear leads to lying. Fear led Abraham to think more about himself than he did his wife. He paid a great compliment to her, but you're going to see 
Abram encourages Sarai to lie by saying that she was his sister. It was a little bit of a truth because there's a half-sister, but it's still a lie. It's still very much deception because of the motive. Verse 14, when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into the palace. And he treated Abram well for his sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle and male and donkeys and female donkeys and maidservants and manservants and camels. Now, this lie, it saved Abram. But Sarah joined Pharaoh's harem. Verse 17. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. Isn't it amazing that the unbeliever is more perceptive to God than the believer? Look at verse 18. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Looks pretty good now, doesn't it? You see, as you look at this, you go like, eh, it's probably all right. But see, fear, not getting God's mind, led to Abraham's loss of integrity and reputation. Fear led to him making God look bad. This is a guy who's trying to say, my God is the one true God. Well, my God's full of lies. No, that wasn't true at all. Bottom line We have to be careful that in our lives, we're not making us look bad and God at the same time. We're always facing spiritual warfare. And if I try to use a carnal way to win it, it'll never work. Now, I thought about this. What if that next morning, Abram got out and he opened his Bible and let's say he journaled what happened yesterday. What would he have written in that journal? The same kind of things you do. I would probably put this in the yesterday column. In other words, how I did yesterday. Good things and things not so good. I just wrote some of these things down. God, Abraham writing, I made a wrong decision yesterday. God, I took my eyes off you and I panicked. I guess I don't really know you well enough to believe that you can provide for us, even in that difficult famine. God, I let my... Fear replaced my faith, and I went to Egypt without you. You didn't direct me to do it. I simply went on my own thinking. I'm sorry. I repent of my sins. God, please forgive me. Ever write that? I've written it. If you've never written it, you've not been honest with yourself. See, that's where correction comes. When we confess... Those things that we know are wrong. God's faithful to forgive us. Well, chapter 13 says that they go back to Canaan. And next thing we see is Abram's at an altar worshiping again. He would discover God's forgiveness. But he would discover that God is patient. He would discover that God is compassionate. And yet, is there going to be some suffering because of this? You don't need to write this next statement down. You've heard me say it many, many times. But choose to sin, choose to suffer. We will get forgiven, 
But there are going to be consequences. You say, well, Pastor Mark, it looks pretty good to me. He went down with nothing, basically. He comes back more wealthy than he's ever been before in his life. He comes back, Hagar, he comes back as a maid for his wife. That's a pretty good deal. She didn't have a maid when she went down. What blessings. Now, but what happens? What happens? Even though Abram's forgiven, what happens with this great wealth? It causes problems with his nephew, Lot. Too much wealth. How are we going to divide it? What are we going to do? And there was a division in the family where before there wasn't any. Do you know that's so true today? Isn't it amazing? You see these people that win the lottery. You know what happens to them? That's like a death curse. Their marriage will be destroyed. They lose peace. They join all the friends that they thought were really friends after one thing, money. So Abraham comes back, and all that wealth is going to initially cause him problems. But Sarai did have a maid. That won't cause any problem, will it? You've been watching the Middle East recently? You know the whole story. She was Egyptian. There's our world. From that would come that son. And ever since then, Isaac and Ishmael, their descendants have been at each other until the end of time. All of that happened because Abraham didn't trust God to be his provider and protector. I want you to write that down tonight. When we run... It's usually because we don't think God can protect us and God can't protect us and provide for us in the situation. We run because we forget God is our protector and our provider. God would have taken care of that situation perfectly. See, man is not our protector or provider. Our location is not our protector or provider. Good circumstances are not our protector or provider. God is our protector. And provider. Psalms 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. So there was no reason for Abram to run to Egypt. And there was no reason for David to run to the enemy camp. So let's go back to 1 Samuel 27.2 and watch The very similar stories. All of it because of minds that haven't captured the thought. They're operating in man's wisdom, not from God's word and his direction. 1 Samuel 27, verse 2. So David and the 600 men left with him, and they went over to Achish, son of Maok, the king of Gath. Now David... And his men settled in Gath with Achish. Now let's just talk about that for a moment. Have we been there before? David's been there before. Gath is a Philistine city. Anybody else remember who came from Gath? Goliath. The very one that David killed. Today, Pastor Mark taught about the importance of keeping your mindset aligned with God's. Even though bad stuff happens in your life, just like it happened to David, it's important to remember that God is involved in the situation. You were also introduced to the phrase, 
choose to sin, choose to suffer. That's a good reminder that actions have consequences. We know social media is a big part of everyone's lives, and it's a great way to stay connected with each other. We'd like to add a little bit of joy and Jesus to your Facebook and Twitter pages, so come like and follow us. You'll be able to keep up to date with all the latest information about Pastor Mark, the Ministry of Lessons for Living, and the church behind it, Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links to connect. That's LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time, Pastor Mark will continue his teaching on the life of David. He will talk about the deceitfulness of wealth, using Abram as an example. He will speak of David's absorbing Nabal's wealth when he married Abigail, and the mistake David made when he chose to take residence in the country of Israel's enemy, the Philistines, as David lives life outside of God's will. We've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time as Pastor Mark will continue teaching through this series, The Life of David. That's next time on Lessons for Living. in a hurting world a new hope he is given